0: Sorry, Ken. Actually, I'm not sorry. You do a good (laughs) enough job. You don't need help. Well, he's going to leave all this in now that you've said that. Uh, Probably. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't care. See, See if I get fired again.
1: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan.
0: Oh, hello everybody, my fantastic friends.
1: Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, it's Dana Roach. Good afternoon and good evening. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDH Rec itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And, here on EDHRECast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas?
0: We're brewing the best Battle Bond Commander ever. That's what we're <laughs> doing.
1: And That's right. <laughs> We are we are doing a live brew of Najila because I'm not sure if you guys have noticed yet but that battle bond that we made that that bet the yeah, we're a, the battle bet yeah we're losing Dana and I are not doing well so we're sort of just tossing in the towel now and saying yep Matt you've won let's try building a deck around this Najila lady cuz she seems pretty sick
0: She is she's pretty great and the uh, the numbers are definitely backing me up on that yeah,
1: I don't think I don't, I don't think our combined guesses equal the numbers. No, yeah. I don't think so. And we want to, you know, get a sense, you know, I think it would be useful for listeners to hear how we personally use EDH Rec to build our decks as well. So hopefully while we're doing this live brew of Najila, we can reveal some of the tips and tricks that we use when we're building an EDH Rec deck. You guys ready?
0: Yeah, I suppose. I I want to <laughs> before we go though and you know talk about how, you know, I I you know predict everything well and you should take me to Vegas Dana was in Vegas and I want to hear some stories yep that's
1: what I wanted to hear about too really quick before we get started Dana how was GP Vegas
2: it was pretty fantastic um, you two gentlemen for sure should have been there and will have to come next year
1: I am I really like sorry to... that I missed it
2: yeah it, we had multiple people asking where you guys were as well so you your your lack of presence was uh, missed by a lot of people I was actually pretty Pleasantly surprised how many folks, you know, considering we're only like a dozen episodes in, were really looking for people from the cast and wanting to interact with you guys. So that was um, really, really cool.
1: That's really cool. I'm so glad that people want to know who I am. I mean, they don't want to know about Matt because he's been fired, but still, right? They just assumed he was, you know, homeless somewhere,
0: yeah, panhandling for panhandling a living,
2: having been fired, panhandling but
0: like... in Cripple Creek, Colorado, right, <laughs> making my rounds at casinos.
1: So Dana, I think on your Twitter I saw that you were trying to do a combined 50 games while you were there at the weekend. Did you meet your quota?
2: I think I got to 46 when I stopped, and and I didn't count one Sunday morning I played right before I left. I could have got 50 in. Um, Friday was the Commander Championship, and I think I that that I got six. I did six games in like maybe 10 hours because that was so time consuming. So had that been like a normal day, would have easily probably got to 60, or had I maybe taken advantage of the gap in between rounds, I could have got a few more into, so that was mostly my fault, but I could have definitely got 50 in.
1: Sounds pretty neat. Did you see any really cool brews while you were there?
2: I saw a lot of really good decks. Um, I, actually, Don Miner, uh, um, the you know mastermind behind EDH Ref, has a bunch of really interesting decks. So I got to see his uh, Tanawa, which is a mono-blue deck, that is really fascinating. He's got a really cool Chainer deck, um, so I liked his brews. Um, I saw some pretty interesting ones in the actual Commander Championship as well. I got to see a um, turn two Narset, which wasn't a lot of fun to have to deal with. What that happened?
0: Tell me more. Tell me more. It, <laughs>
2: it was it was off a um, I even turn one land, and I think Mox Diamond, and I believe turn two was a Lion's Eye land play and Narset came down and then got forcewilled. So nice. So the Narset player was then that, done. That,
0: as that, it should that, be. That's anticlimactic. I don't really care. Let's <laughs> let's hear the next story.
2: Um and, and I was like I was not playing a strong deck. I, I intentionally brought kind of a brought my Rekki deck to the tournament, right? Which is effective but like it's not going to win against a turn two Narset kind of situation. But I won I think I won two of my six pods, which playing that deck against people a lot of people were going pretty hard i was happy to have won two games and kind of shocked that i managed to win two sounds so, really cool because it was kind of a strange blend there was a lot of really really casual like silly decks and then there was a lot of people you know playing pretty hard turn two narset kind of stuff so it was a fun thing yeah. to have experienced though, and i would definitely probably do it again
1: nice yeah you mentioned don minor his decks have been those totally befuddle me because he's the guy who created this awesome website to find really efficient cards but then he builds decks like tanawal which phases out your lands every other turn or something like that which is totally crazy but that's just the type of wild guy he is so i'm definitely uh i'm jealous that you got to see all those in the wild well
2: he had suggested we we have him on the show down the road and do like an edh intervention because he realized at some point he only plays stacks decks he's like i need to build a non-stacks deck at some point. So you guys should have me on and do an EDH intervention show. So I think we for sure should do that.
1: I'm definitely on board. Matt, what about you? While Dana was away, did you play any interesting games?
0: I played zero games total because all my cards are in boxes and I don't know where half of them are. Well,
1: that's really oh, oh, sad. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> Dana played some extra games for me, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I made up for it, Matt. You got, I got your back. Yeah, it I'm- works. I myself finally got to play Battle Bond, which was so much fun. One of my particular favorite moments was just playing a negate on my opponent's Will Kenrith. He was really, really crestfallen to see <laughs> that. Hmm. Yeah, I almost felt bad, but I didn't really feel bad. It was also really cool to see the uh, the partners with cards in action. Particularly, my teammate and I, we actually opened two partners with cards that were the same. It was the proud mentor and the I want to say something protege, but they're partners with each other. We got two copies of those. So then he would play his proud mentor, I would get my protege. Then he would search for his other proud mentor, and then I would search for my other protege, which was a lot of advantage. Well, yeah, that's, I, I, that's I will that's add kind this. kind of nuts.
2: I will add this, having played some Battle Bond at Vegas and having seen a lot of the original partner decks, my opinion on the OG partners has been reinforced, you know, tenfold. I still detest them and that nothing changed seeing them in Vegas. They're still just the generic good stuff engine I thought they were and that has not changed, whereas the couple of partner with decks I saw were much more interesting.
1: Well, but. I'm going to be playing my partner Rayhan and Ishai decks, so I'll, <laughs> I'll keep you in mind tonight when I play that here and soon. And to be
2: fair, Rayhan and Ishai are two of the ones that don't really see play, so I can imagine that that's a little bit different than if you're just running, you know, Timna and Kadali or something.
1: Yeah. I do like, I mean, we mentioned it a whole bunch on that partner show, but the new partners especially hone in a little more specifically and don't give way to that, quote, good stuff argument that I remember we talked about a lot on that show. So it's definitely really cool to see the commanders that are in Battle Bond. Speaking of, here's an awkward segue where we talk about this commander from Battle Bond, Najila, that we're going to be brewing today. So let's <laughs> get right to it. Absolutely. Deal. Let's do it. Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but one of the places that I personally start when I'm looking around on EDHREC for ideas to build a deck around a commander is that I actually just start with the average deck list. There's a really cool feature on EDHREC that allows you to see the average deck for any given commander. It will pull up a pie chart that mentions all of the ratios, and it will pull up a full list of the 99 that you can run for that commander. They are just averages. These are just you know most of the frequently, most commonly seen things that we see in that deck— And you might, as you've mentioned before in one of the podcasts, Matt, if a commander is being built in many different ways, there might be a little bit of a mishmash in that average deck, as some people are building in one direction and other people are building in a different one. So you might get a little bit of a mishmash, but even so, I find it a really good first place to start, because it gives you a nice solid skeleton upon which to build off of. Is that how you guys like to start as well? That's usually where I go
2: for polishing. So once I kind of have my rough idea of the cards I want to put in the deck that's where I then go to see what did I miss? Like what did I not know existed or what did I forget about? That kind of thing. So that's usually my, my final step actually after I go off what was in my memory.
1: Gotcha. Matt, what about you?
0: I'm kind of like Dana. Probably for the most part I use just the knowledge pool that I have going on. You um, know, all three of us are a little more experienced players, a little more experienced deck builders. So just use all that, you know, the knowledge of what we've been doing beforehand so I might do a quick gather search, or scryfall and pull up just a few ideas and just compile and do what we've kind of, you know, advocated people doing before is get 120 cards together and make cuts from there. So don't don't say no to anything in the early stages of brewing. So I'll just throw as many cards onto a, you know, a note on my phone or on a deck list or whatever and then I'll kind of make some cuts from there and if I'm, you know, try to get back down to, you know, 100 105 and then I'll go online, look at other lists, and look at the sample deck lists, and go go to the website from there, and then maybe work my way back up to 110, see what cards I miss, some of those no-brainers, and then we'll whittle it back down from there.
1: Yeah, that's I mean that's a whole lot of steps, and hopefully we'll go through those in a bit more detail as the podcast goes on. But that also matches my experience, where I start with something, I add a whole bunch of cards, and then I'll make some cuts, but then I'll add more cards, and then I'll make some cuts. There's a constant ebb and flow to my deck-building experience.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um pricker because you get to that point, at least I do, where those last five cuts are brutal. I mean I, yeah, I really str- I really struggle getting those in.
1: Definitely. So, when I pull up the average deck list, one of the things that I also pay attention to is the pie chart that comes next to it. We've got the average type distribution, which we've talked about before on a previous cast when we were noting trending data. I pulled up the average deck list for an Ajila the Blade Blossom deck, which I think will be a really good starting point for our podcast today. And we can see the average type distribution here next to her. We've got, so far, we've got 37 lands, 32 creatures, seven instants, six sorceries, Nine artifacts and eight enchantments. And I kinda wanted to get your guys' opinion just on how you see the average type distribution. Whether you think that some of those numbers should be higher or lower. What you think?
0: So I like the distribution. I I would actually shave probably a couple enchantments, maybe an instant or sorcery or two, and add a couple more creatures. With something like this commander with Najila, I I want to just to throw as many bodies as it or at it as I can. Just because her, her abilities, they, they line up so well with just a bunch of bodies, a bunch of creatures. So you want to make sure you're always drawing them. And then the, the non-creature spells that you have, those are your haymakers that just reload and let you keep the, the party going.
1: And Matt, you you reminded me, I totally forgot to read Najila the Blade Blossom, so let's do that really quick as well. Najila the Blade Blossom is a 3-mana 3-2 red human warrior, legendary creature from Battle Bond, who says, whenever a warrior attacks, you may have its controller create a 1-1 white warrior creature token that is tapped and attacking. Note, that is whenever a warrior attacks, not whenever one or more warriors attack. So you get a creature for each of your warriors that attacks, which is a detail that I missed when I first saw her
0: non-token warrior it doesn't say non-token it's any warrior so it can be a warrior token so those tokens that she makes then turn around and make more token buddies
1: Exactly. But she's not done. She also has a five-color activated ability for white, blue, black, red, green. You can untap all attacking creatures. They gain Trample, Lifelink, and Haste until end of turn. And after this phase, there's an additional combat phase. You can activate this ability only during combat. You may have noticed she's got that five-color activated ability, which means just like General Tazri, she is a five-color commander. So there's a whole lot of value going on here, which is why we wanted to talk about her for this episode. So getting back to that average type distribution, Matt said that he'd probably add more creatures. He doesn't think that this necessarily needs to be an enchantment-heavy deck, but Dana, I know that you have an opinion that disagrees with Matt's there, so what do you think?
2: Um, Yeah, the rest of the breakdown, I think, doesn't matter that much. Like, land, you know, roughly, you're going to always be in that 35 to 37 range, probably on a three-color deck like this. An enchantment artifact at Sorcery Instant, I think, is a lot of it is just kind of spiced to suit your personal tastes. Creatures, however, um, I think that's too many. I think 32 creatures is... A lot in a deck that isn't something like maybe Edric, where you're using those bodies to double up as draw triggers, or maybe it's some kind of like a Primal Surge build or Working Predators build where you need to have a real thick density of creatures to do the tricks that your deck wants to do. I think 32 bodies is going to swallow up too many slots that you need to dedicate to things like draw and removal and getting your game plan to the point it needs to be at to win the game. So I think that's that many bodies is asking to get board wiped and then not have anything available to rebuild after that
0: board wipe. See, I, I would agree with you, but there's a card that I know we're going to talk about later that I think encourages and rewards you for playing more bodies.
1: Okay. Okay. And that's just it. I mean, we can look at and criticize the average deck pie chart just to see the the type of ratios that are in there, but it's hard to necessarily know until we actually see the cards itself. So beyond just the average type distribution, let's also get to the types of spells that are inside of that deck, because I think that might be a bit more of an interesting metric. But on the whole, especially with a creature tribal deck like this, paying attention to that number of creatures I do think is pretty important. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. Let's move on now to the ratio of the type of cards Though, such as ramp or removal spells like Dana was mentioning. Overall, I was able to find about 9.5 ramp spells. So we've got things like Soul Ring, Rampant Growth, Farsi, Cultivate, Kodama's Reach, Explosive Vegetation, Felware Stone, Chromatic Lantern, which is super awesome in a five color deck. Cryptolithrite and Herald's Horn, and Herald's Horn isn't exactly a ramp spell, and it can save you mana on some of your creatures, so that's why I sort of put it as a 0. .5. What do you guys think about having about nine between nine and ten ramp spells in the deck? Does that seem like a good ratio to you or no? I think in this deck where you
2: are gonna need to have five mana available to use that activated ability, um, I think that seems like a good number. She's going to be a commander that people are going to want to remove to keep her from doing her thing, so there's probably going to be a lot of recasts happening as well, and you want to have mana after those casts to use her ability, so that seems like a a reasonable amount
1: of ramp. Yeah, Yeah, I I would definitely agree.
0: Yeah, I think it's fine. Uh, The big thing I think you want to pay attention to is being able to grab non forests Anything that will grab you a duel I think is going to be pretty important, just because you need the color fixing. That's going to be the most important thing. But it comes down to how important you think that activated ability of getting another combat step is. If you're not really too worried about it, then just get mana in general. It doesn't matter. But if you're if you're trying to uh get that activated ability, then you want to worry more about your color fixing and look at what what ramp spells you're playing specifically.
2: one of the cards in the list I didn't love was Crypto with Right. I think it's a really good card, but you can't it, it this isn't like What's what's the what's the better version of Cryptolith? I just lost it in my in my mind here. What's the better version of Cryptolith? Right, Earthcraft. Earthcraft. There we go. Earthcraft. You can tap. You can you use Earthcraft to tap the creatures for the mana. Cryptolith with right, they have to tap. So if they have something sickness, they can't tap, and the tokens you make are already tapped because they're attacking. So there's going to be a lot of situations where I don't know that you necessarily are going to have bodies lying around doing nothing. That you can use to tap for mana. I mean, I, I guess if you have a bunch of tokens out and you've used her activated ability, then you can have them untapped. But I think aside from that one situation, I just don't love that card. If it was Earthcraft, i like it a lot more. I just don't know if it is worth it.
1: Right. This is a deck that will clearly be going wide because your commander is going to be making right. an exponential number of tokens. But if those tokens aren't attacking, well, then you're not getting as many tokens. I mean, by all means, these tokens are actually very expendable. So you don't necessarily need to tap them for mana because you just want more and more tokens, which will hopefully trigger some of the other cards that we'll see in the deck. So I'm I'm kind of on board with that one.
2: And I also thought um, Matt kind of mentioned this when he was just generally talking about the ramp spells and talking about how you need cards that get things that aren't forests. And Rampant Growth's on that list as well. And, you know, Nature's Lore is the same CMC, and it, it gets an, any forest, not just a basic forest. So you can grab any of your dual lands with that, and it doesn't come into play tapped. So, it's you know, it's not a huge deal, but, like, based on the list you saw, I would absolutely be swapping out Rampant Growth for um, Nature's Lore at the exact same CMC.
1: Right. If you don't yeah. have any duels, though, I mean, you could do worse than Rampant Growth. For
2: sure.
0: You could, but would you? <laughs> Definitely. Well, Some and, of us have you, to play on a budget, you, Matt.
2: And even, hey. well, they, Nature's War is a cheap card, though. I mean It's like maybe $2. I think it's even less than that. And,
1: well, but duels aren't.
2: Right. And but Farseek... It, it still goes into play untapped, whereas Rampant Growth goes into play tapped. So like, even if you're just getting a basic forest, at the exact same CMC, I would much rather grab one untapped that I can then use versus having it always be tapped.
0: Yeah, yeah be one, I, think, deck, I think something like Farseek that did get in the deck list... Is is really important because you can grab a duel that isn't green. Right. So you can, you know, you cast your far Seek and get, you know, uh, your, your blue black shock land, or you can get your steam vents or whatever you need. So it, if you are playing, you know, shock lands or just, you know, anything with basic land types, uh, Farsiq gets really important and it's, you know, pretty powerful. So,
1: right. We can debate the merits of individual. You know, ramp spells, all that we want, but that is only one of the sections that we want to take a look at. It does seem like we have a pretty ample number of ramp spells here, especially if we are trying to take advantage of Najila's five-color activated ability. We want to make sure that we've got the mana to pay for it. But when we move to the next section, the number of draw spells that show up in this average deck list, I was only able to find two. That being Skullclamp, which can. You know, equipped to one of your creature tokens, it will die, and then Skull Clamp will draw you two cards, and Vanquisher's Banner, which will draw you a card every time that you cast a warrior. Clearly, since Najilla likes warriors, we're gonna be making a warrior tribal deck. But Skull Clamp and Vanquisher's Banner were the only ones I was able to find, which just seems criminally low. Yeah,
0: that's yeah, that's, a, that's way too that's way too few.
1: Yeah, it's
2: not nearly enough. And those are both spells that are contingent on you already having a board presence in the first place. Those do mm-hmm. you absolutely no good if someone just, you know, cast a Pointer Cleansing or something and wiped the board. Those will draw you no cards if you draw Skullclamp or Vanquisher's Banner and don't have ways to take advantage of them. So I think this deck needs a lot more draw, and it needs conditionless draw as well. You know, it needs, a, it needs a harmonized kind of deal, or it needs an ancient craving just to, just to put, like, raw cards in hand.
1: So that's definitely one of the areas that going forward we'll try and beef up a little bit. We'll want to have more card advantage spells for sure. We've also got one last section to look at, and that's removal spells. I was able to locate five within the average decklist for Nagila, them being Anguished on Making, Utter End, Swords to Plowshares, Crows and Grip, and Cyclonic Rift. That also kind of struck me as being a little bit low, but the number of removal spells can be a little meta-dependent maybe, so what do you guys think about having five removal spells?
2: It feels a little lean, but I mean, you know, one of the th- most common complaints I hear about EDH is people saying, you know, no one of my meta runs removal, or this person doesn't have enough removal in their deck, so five is better than, you know, two, which is something
0: sometimes I see. Yeah, I think it's it, it might be a little light, it might be just right, it really just depends on, you know, how responsive you need to be to your playgroup and what they're doing. If you just want to be the deck... Uh, Like, I like to build where, you know, here's my thing, I'm going to play it out, and, you know, we'll just see what happens. That's kind of what I do. I probably should run a little bit more removal, um, but I do like that you're pretty much playing, like, a who's who of removal, just because you are a five-color. You know, yes, Cyclonic Rift, I think, might be a little boring, but it is one of the most powerful blue removal spells. And when you're trying to get through with a lot of bodies, you cast a, you know, you kick a Cyclonic Rift, and then you win the game because you have so many bodies out there, so...
2: I think, I mean, you're in five colors here, so we have access to literally every spell available in Commander. So, you know, the Anguish I'm making, Utter End, and Swords are, you know, probably the kind of premium removal spells.
0: Yeah, gold um, gold standard, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure.
2: Um, K-Grip, while being a great card, I do think, I don't want to say overrated, but I think it's very meta-dependent. There are some metas where, like, the split second is utterly irrelevant, because no one's running things that care about it or people aren't running combos that you need to stop with split second. So I, I, I think people sometimes run it based on reputation when it doesn't necessarily need to be the removal spell you run. So I wouldn't say don't run cross and grip or anything. I, th- I just think make sure you have a reason to run it over something like beast within, which solves every problem or chaos warp, which solves every problem. Like if you don't have to run K grip to get that split second, run the removal spells that hit anything versus just hit artifacts and enchantments.
1: I definitely agree. Those were spells that I was really surprised not to see, that there wasn't Chaos Warp in the deck. That really struck me. I was also really yeah. struck by the how like there's only one Cyclonic Rift. We don't even have things like Blasphemous Act or other types of board wipes. That was very surprising to me as well. Usually I feel like I want more than just one you know, fail-safe button
2: especially Blasphemous Act, which is almost always going to be... I mean, I can't think of the last time I saw Blasphemous Act cast for more than four mana, and it's way more often than not just a one-mana board wipe. Exactly. And in this deck, you also have access to, like we said with Removal, you have everything available to you. So, you know, you have your Supreme Verdict available, you have your Toxic Deluge available, you have Merciless Eviction and Austere Command, and so you can run the cream of the crop in terms of board wipes, and most of those are also relatively inexpensive. I mean, damnation is, you know, still double digits, I think, but wrath of God is four or five bucks, and Day of Judgment I think is under a dollar. So even if you're on a budget, you can still run a really powerful suite of sweepers. So I think you definitely should have a couple of those in this deck.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely. If, if you're playing ways to buff up your own warriors, uh, like you know, say you're playing Cathar's Crusade or some Lord effects, anything like that, that's when I think Toxic Deluge gets really, gets really, really powerful in this deck because. You know, you're able to knock out all the tokens. Say, you know, you're playing against Reese the Redeemed and he has an army of 1 1s. You're able to to knock those out because you don't want to get chumped all day. So a lot of those, you know, deal X damage to every creature. I think those are where they get really powerful if you're playing some way to beef up your team.
1: So we can talk about the skeleton, all of these, you know, oh, we have this many removal spells, this many creatures, things like that. But we should also get into the meat and bones of the actual deck building experience itself. Once I've got an average deck list, the next thing that I do is that I look straight through those new top and signature cards on the page for the commander. And I think I'll spend just a little bit of time talking about some of the cards that we see showing up as really, really, really high percentages for Najila. One of the most famous ones I think is Bramblewood Paragon, a 2-mana 2-2 elf warrior that has all of your other warriors enter the battlefield with an additional plus-one counter on it, and when they have plus-one counters on them, they get trampled. That's a really great warrior because it synergizes it. It's a lord effect, basically, for all of the tokens that you'll be making. Another fantastic one is Druid's Repository, which I think everyone's actually figured out by now kind of can go infinite with Najila. Druid's Repository is a 3-mana green enchantment that says whenever a creature you control Full attacks, you get a charge counter on it, and then you can remove those charge counters for any color of mana. All you have to do is attack with a bunch of creatures. You'll get five charge counters on Druid's repository, one for each color, activate her ability, then attack again. That's really, really fantastic. So there's definitely a lot of really cool stuff that we're seeing in the signature cards for Najila. What are some of your guys' favorites?
0: I like Brutal Horde Chief. I've, I've mentioned that card a couple times, and I think I talked about it on our tribal episode. Uh, but Brutal Horde Chief uh the how being able to drain any opponent is really really powerful and then uh setting up how people block you get a master warcraft on a stick basically uh brutal horror chief is just a really fun card that i've always you know been a little fond of ever since the concept art block came out originally i'm glad that card is finally seeing some love
2: i'm a fan of champion of lamholt i think that ability is really challenging to play around if It's on the other side of the field from you, and you're facing a horde of creatures swinging at you, and you can't block them with anything that's smaller than what they're swinging with. It's just really irritating to deal with, and in addition to that, champion gets buffed pretty quickly. So I think that one is one I'm a big fan of in this deck. But I think just generally speaking, without even singling out a creature, almost all of the warriors on that top list are just Good cards. They're almost all very efficiently costed, and they almost all have game-impacting abilities, and I think that's the really, really relevant thing here, is this is a tribal deck that just has creatures that are effective on their own, even if you don't have tribal things happening. Like, your commander doesn't necessarily need to be out for a lot of these creatures to be really, really good. Or you don't need to have the synergy happening from her multiple attack steps for these creatures to be powerful. If you, if you play Ninjila and someone steals her, well, that's not, like, good. But it also doesn't turn your deck off. You've got a lot of bodies here that do a lot of things.
1: That's definitely true. One of them, for example, that happens to be a warrior is Miri Weatherlight Duelist, which we've heard Matt talk about on a previous podcast, because it's so good at reducing the amount of creatures that your opponent can block with, which is just super awesome. And incidentally, it's a warrior. We have a whole bunch of incidental warriors here. Samut, Voice of Descent is another great one. Grand Warlord Rada also gives you mana every time you attack and happens to be an elf warrior. And on top of that, in all of these top and signature cards, you've got stuff that's maybe a little obscure, but that nonetheless synergizes excellent with a warrior deck, like Lovisa Cold Eyes, who buffs up your warriors, or Chief of the Edge, who buffs up your warriors, or the new Mindblade Render from Battlebond also can draw you cards whenever you hit someone with one or more of your warriors, which is really, really fantastic. Even on top of that, there's Raider Spoils, which is a great enchantment that lets you draw cards when you hit people with warriors. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening, and I, I definitely like it. But that doesn't mean that we can't challenge the statistics here, so that's what we're going to do now. Maybe there are some of the cards that are in these top and signature cards that are seeing a ton of play for an Najeela deck that we don't think should be among the top cards, or maybe there are some cards that we think deserve to be top cards that aren't showing up. So Matt, do you want to start us off with your challenging the stats for Najila?
0: Sure, I can. So one thing I was noticing when I was going through all these lists uh, is there's a lot of aggressive creatures. I would say... Probably half of them at least are three or less mana. But one thing that I've noticed about those two is that there's a lot of double mana costs in there. And what I mean by double is, you know, it'll say one generic and then white, white, or one generic and red, red. And so there's some of these effects that I don't really think are worth, you know, forcing it because you have to finagle your mana base around quite a bit. You have to you know, really, really make... You know, make a concerted effort just to cast these on time, which means in a five-color deck, your mana's going to be stretched pretty thin in those early turns anyways. So Bloodshin Fanatic is a card that I think shouldn't be played... I don't really like it. I wouldn't play it in this deck because I think it might be a little low-impact. Uh, currently, it's showing up in 32% of the of the Najila the decks that we see. Um, and Bloodshin Fanatic is a Orc Warrior. It's a 3 3 Black-Black, so it's a three-drop. It is a sac outlet, but it costs one and a black and sacrifice another warrior creature. Target player loses X life and you gain X life, where the X is the sacrifice creature's power. I think a three drop for that type of effect, that is double mana cost that has to be a certain color. I don't think it's worth the hoops you have to jump through to cast it on curve. I don't think it's going to make a big enough impact down the road either.
1: Right. Most of the creatures that you'll be making are 1-1 one, one warriors, so sacrificing them isn't going to give you a really big payoff.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I think if you wanted something on your top end, if you look on the very next card, it's also in 32 decks uh, of Naji'la decks. Butcher of Malakir, which is a 7-drop, you probably don't want a whole bunch of, of creatures that are costing five, and, you know, 5 or more mana. But I think Butcher of Malakir, because it is a very powerful creature, but it also gives you plenty of time to get that double black mana you don't have to cast it on curve for it to be impactful either uh, i just don't i don't like three drops that require double mana cost in this type of deck right here i think another card you know along those lines is a Ration foremost where you can give all your creatures you know give certain warriors double strike i think if it gave all warriors double strike that you had it'd be very different but only being able to target one the fact that a Ration Foremost is in 51% of Najila decks, I think, might be incorrect as well.
1: I definitely agree, Matt. I also have a card that I actually think should be seeing more play, and that is Sosuke, son of Sashiro. I'm really shocked that this guy doesn't show up in the top or the signature cards for Najila. This guy's a 4-green-green, 3-4 green, Snake Warrior, so we definitely got that going on. But his first line of text is, I think, the reason why he's not seeing a lot of play, and that's... Other snakes you control get plus one, plus zero. My instinct is that the reason that Sosuke is only showing up in 19% of Najila decks so far is because people will see that first line of text about the snakes and say, eh, it doesn't really matter. He's a snake guy. He happens to be a warrior, but it doesn't really care. i don't, I'm not running any snakes. The thing is, he's got another line of text that says, whenever a warrior you control deals combat damage to a creature, destroy that creature at end of combat. So we've got a whole bunch of other warriors that are buffing each other up, but this guy is giving them a delayed trigger of Death Touch, and I think that's excellent, especially when you're making all of those tiny 1-1 expendable warrior creature tokens. This guy seems really good in this deck, but he's only showing up so far in 19% of Najila decks, and that's just crazy to me.
0: Yeah, I think that might be a little underplayed, just making it scary to block all those 1-1s and make sure that you can punch some damage through, and, you know, it prevents chump blocking either, too.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Given that ability, um, particularly because the commander doesn't have evasion and obviously the tokens don't either, at least naturally. You know, Death Touch isn't evasion, but it is maybe aversion, what I would call it. Like, it makes it unpleasant to be forced to block. So it helps you punch that damage, like Matt said. That's for sure.
1: Dana, what's your pick?
2: I kind of have two. I'm going to cheat, because these both popped out to me um, as cards that I generally like and I think are perfect fits for this deck. The first one is Dolman Gate, and I'll read what that does in case nobody knows. It's an artifact out of the Lorwyn block, and it's... Two mana to cast, and it just says prevent all combat damage that will be dealt to attacking creatures you control. So I think that's only in three Nijula decks so far, so it's only in like, you know, she's got roughly 100 decks on the website so far, so it's in about 3% of them. This is a commander that doesn't have a particularly strong body. She's a 3-2, which means she dies to a Lotus Cobra if it chump blocks her. (laughs) She She has no evasion, she has no first strike, and... Her abilities are all predicated on you swinging. So this is a commander you want to swing every single turn if possible to to, to make warriors or you know even better to get extra combat steps. And I, Dolman Gate lets you do that. Dolman Gate lets you just not care. You don't have to care what they have for blockers. You don't have to care what they you know what's in your way or what what how much damage they can do. They can have you know 10 10 Eldrazi with Death Touch sitting there, and you're just going to swing because of Gate and get your free warrior tokens. So I think for two mana. Being able to ignore the other person's blockers and get your thing to go off without having to care about whether or not anything lizard dies is an unbelievably useful thing to
1: have in play, and it should be in way more than like three percent of her decks. Yeah, for a creature that's attacking with this many creatures and this often, I'm totally on board.
0: Yeah, I, I've always liked Dolman Gate. I've just always had trouble finding a, a spot for it, and I, I think I, I think this is a very good place to start.
2: Yeah, yep, yeah. and I, I'm the same way, Matt. Like I have a, like a shiny foil one sitting here that I keep wanting to put in the deck, and I don't have a natural home for it, and I think like this is the natural home for it.
0: Well, since you're not going to lose the bet anymore because you already did, you may as well just put a list online with it. I should. That's a good. That's a good call. Um, What's your other pick?
2: The other one is Path of Discovery, which is an enchantment for four mana, three in a green, and it just says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it explores. And exploring reveals a top card of your library, and you can put it into your hand if it's a land, or put a plus-one counter on the creature, then put the card into your graveyard, or put it back. So the reason that matters is because it enters the battlefield. It isn't on cast. So if you've got a couple warriors out there, and you're swinging with Nigila and those warriors, preferably with the Dolman Gate out, that means you get, like, three or four explore triggers because you're making those tokens for each warrior that attacks, that could easily be throwing you know, a couple cards in your hand or putting a couple counters on your commander. And if you get a second attack step or a third attack step, in which case now the warrior tokens you made then make more warrior tokens, which then proc you know, twice as many X4 triggers and the next turn twice as many X4 twi- triggers. That's a, it's, it's like literally a, almost a win condition unto itself. If you have Path of Discovery out and you get a couple swings off each time making more and more Tokens, each of which gives you more and more explored triggers, which puts more card in your hand and puts more token or puts more counters onto your stuff. That can just win the game. So that's sh- it's only in four decks again out of like the close to hundred. That should be in way more decks than just you know four percent.
0: I, I think we should note because I know the internet's going to let us know it doesn't put the counters on your commander. It doesn't put com- the counters on any creature. It's only the creature that's exploring. Right. Yes. Yeah, so the one that
2: explores gets them.
0: Yeah, yeah. You said you said put the counters on your commander. And oh, so even when she's maybe, attacking, like, she's going
2: exp- yeah. to explore. You're not going to like sack them all on her, but like she'll get one or two as well. Yeah, one every yeah. time, I should say. Yep, yep. So, th- so just your army is just—it's it, going to kind of be a Catherine's Crusade that also draws you cards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's one I—I I think that should be in there for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I like that pick. I, I hadn't thought about you know every time that you know one of those warriors comes into play, you get another explorers trigger. You make a two-two maybe. Maybe you draw a card, maybe you get rid of a dead card that you don't want to draw next turn. I I like that idea.
2: I always forget Path Discovery is also on ETB and
1: not a cast, because it's so ridiculous that it is on ETB. And it's definitely useful for it to, you know basically get some cards into your hand because as we saw with the skeleton earlier with the average card types and the different you know types of spells that we're seeing play in Najila, there's not a whole lot of card advantage spells so whether you're getting rid of stuff that you don't need or you're putting lens into your hand it's a really nice option to get some stuff so that you've got some advantage and you're not just throwing all of your stuff on the board get wrathed and then you've got nowhere left to go so I, i'm on board for that pick for sure We also, I mean, these are some cards that we like that we know possibly just from our own personal experience having played the game for a while, but what are some ways, you know, that people can find new cards? Matt, you mentioned when you're deck building that one of the places that you'll go is to either Gatherer or Scryfall, and you'll use a bunch of search terms to try and find new cards for this deck. So I'd like to just spend a moment talking about some of the search terms that we might use when looking for cards that would be good for Najila. One of them, for example, pretty obviously, is Warrior, just do an advanced search on Scryfall for cards that either have the creature type warrior or that contain the words warrior in their actual rules text, and then bam, you'll find a whole bunch of stuff. That's personally how I found the uh, Sosuke card, which gives all of your warriors the delayed death touch. Another option thing that I found was Nath of the Leaf. That's a really cool multicolored elf who actually makes elf warrior tokens as well. So there are a couple of really neat things that you can find by using those search terms. What are some other search terms that you guys might use when looking for cards for Najila?
2: The first one I will mention um, is actually in our notes here that Joey wrote down, but it's one I was using today, which is Whenever attack or whenever damage is dealt. And I used those just today on Scryfall to search up, um, cards for my Wasatora deck. Cause that's based around extra attack steps. So I want as many combat triggers, um, whether they're on attack or on combat damage as possible. So literally, you know, five or six hours ago, I was doing just that search to
1: find cards for that deck. Right, and that can help you find a whole bunch of really useful cards, which I think we'll get to in a minute, but it's especially useful, as you mentioned, you were building that Wasatora Extra Combat Steps. I mean, Extra Combat Steps sounds fantastic for Najila too, so that leads us right to another area that we can go. We don't need to necessarily rely upon Najila's ability for Extra Combat Steps. We might even want to use some other Extra Combat Step spells to help supplement them.
0: No, I think uh, stuff like Waves of Aggression is really good in this deck, just because it lets you— you know pitch those extra lands. say you do you know you're playing 37 maybe 38 so you have a few extra in your hand waves of aggression is a good way to pitch stuff and just just a nice extra combat step spell and
2: a lot of those cards particularly extra combat steps for example there's some pretty old ones out there as well that the average player probably doesn't know exist i mean seize the day is you know probably roughly 20 years old and it's i believe four mana to cast it the first time for an extra combat step it has flashback for 3. It's four and red the first time or three and red the first time and two and red the second time. That's an amazing spell that gets you two extra combat steps on one card, but it's 20 years old. You're probably not seeing that in the binder at your, you know, local gaming store.
1: You need to seek that card out and if you don't know it exists, you can't do that. Well, for that particular card, I actually run that in one of my Yidris. Well, One of my Yidra's decks. I only have one Yidra's decks, but I run it in one of my decks, is what I'm trying to say. And that actually only gives one more combat step for one of your creatures. It untaps them. But if you happen to already have Vigilance on your creatures, then absolutely, it becomes a fantastic raid. And as we saw, there are actually a handful of cards in the top cards that actually give Vigilance to all of your creatures, which is fantastic. Some other search terms that I would personally use, since this is a tribal deck, I might look for changelings. That's how I find some of my favorite tribal cards when I was building the Edgar Markov deck. My personal favorite is Mirror Entity, which can buff up all your creatures the more mana that you put into it. And since we're running cards like Grand Warlord Rada or Druid's Repository, you can attack with a bunch of dudes, spend all of the mana from your mana-giving cards, and then make your tiny 1-1 warrior tokens into 7-7s instead, which is fantastic. So looking beyond just warrior is a really great way to go there. As long as I'm on this uh, this whole creature type business I should also mention that a term that I would use is choose a creature type Because this is a tribal deck. So you can find some cards like the Vanquisher's Banner that we mentioned earlier that says choose a creature type on it, and it's awesome. So we can also find using the choose a creature type search term, find cards like Kindred Discovery or Distant Melody, which will help us draw cards based on our creature types, which would really help supplement the fact that we don't have a lot of draw in the deck. So there's a whole bunch of different possibilities that we can use, a bunch of different search terms. Just I don't know, pick a word or a clause or Something that your commander does, whether it's attacking a lot or making tokens or something, just find a handful of pieces about your commander, and those become excellent search terms to try and find more cards that maybe don't even necessarily show up on the EDH rec page because we're seeing all the popular cards there. But you can find some really great gems by using individual search terms, too.
0: Yeah, the the Tribal Commander set with all the pre-cons really made Choose a Creature Type a really, really exciting search term because you get... You know, Herald's Horn, you get all sorts of fun stuff. Kindred Discovery, Kindred Dominance, uh, all those, you know, creature-type spells where you have to pick something specific. But if you're playing a warrior deck like this, it doesn't really matter. You can play probably my favorite draw spell that I, I was kind of surprised actually wasn't showing up in more Najila list: is Distant Relity. It is a little board-dependent. I know, Dana, you're, you're not big on, you know, Magical Christmas Land cards. But Kindred Discovery, even if you're casting it and drawing you know, five cards, that's awesome for this kind of deck. And that's that's a spell that I was very, very shocked not to see played at least in any of the 20, you know, top 20 cards, uh, top 20 even non-creature spells. Uh, it's not even on the list. It's not on the page.
2: Well, and in the case of Kinder Discovery, while I don't necessarily like Magical Crispinland spells, the upside on that card is so ridiculously huge. that It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Like, that—that that is I mean, exempt from that <laughs> line of thinking. It's just a bomb. Definitely. I've been really impressed when I see that one, because it draws your card whenever you attack with a creature or whenever one enters the battlefield that matches the creature type, right? Yep.
2: And again, enter, enters the battlefield matters here because you're having tokens come into play off the ability. So that's exactly. Yeah, ridiculous.
1: Exactly. So those are some really useful tips. I don't know, pick apart the search terms that you'd use to find on other search engines. But let's also bring it right back to the actual website, EDHREC. There are some other tips that I use when poking around EDHREC to help me build one of my commander decks as well. One of the things that I like to do is comparing lower percentage cards to higher percentage cards. Kind of sounds a little weird, probably, but I'll explain what I mean in a moment. For example, we see Boros Charm in the average deck at about 20% popularity. We can, since we know that Boros Charm is an excellent spell that gives your stuff indestructible, we can probably extrapolate that, yeah, our board is pretty important to us. We want to keep our creatures alive, lest we get, you know, wiped out by a Wrath so we can maybe add cards like Heroic Intervention, which also gives your stuff indestructible. Heroic Intervention is lower down the page at only 14%, but... If one of those effects is seeing play at 20%, well, we should probably bring the other one up there too. Another option might be Teferi's Protection, which is only seeing play at 12% of decks so far, but it should probably be higher, just like the Boros Charm. So looking at cards and comparing them to other ones that are a little farther down the page, if they've got a similar effect, I think you should try and nab all of those, You know, put everything in there, and then make the cuts later. But if you are looking for cards that have... I don't know, of redundancy, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. If there's stuff that's really popular and you see things below it that have a pretty similar effect, I'd grab those two when you're brewing.
0: It's almost like somebody a few podcast episodes ago put heroic intervention and Boris Charm head-to-head because they're (laughs) awesome cards. (laughs)
1: They are really awesome cards. Maybe another more extreme example might be a uh, Sirrek Dragon Claw. That's a warrior that we see which is currently showing up in 54% of Najila decks. And I think he gives all of your stuff Trample, which is pretty respectable. He's a 5-mana 6-6, six, six, nice teamer guy. But we can also see the card Archetype of Aggression further down the page at only 26%. He has a really similar ability. He gives your stuff Trample and he's a three-mana warrior. So if Surak, a five-mana warrior, is at 54% popularity, Archetype of Aggression, which has a really similar ability, and which also removes Trample from your opponent's creatures, which is pretty sick, I mean, that's another jump that we can make. That Archetype of Aggression is farther down the page, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a worse card. It's got a similar effect to another card that is seeing a lot of play. So that would be a good thing to consider, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, one thing to, to bear in mind when you're using the site is it's an aggregation of numbers, right? This isn't like someone's making a decision and saying, okay, Surak Dragon Claw is 54% good and Archetype of Aggression is 26% good. That's just what is showing up in decks. So make sure you think about why maybe that is. Like, is Surak showing up in more decks because Surak is actually a better card? Or is it maybe in more decks because... It's a legendary named creature that kind of pops off the page and people remember Surak from that particular block, whereas Archetype is an uncommon that probably didn't get played very much at the time and maybe people don't have in their trade binders, so they, therefore they've forgotten about it. So always kind of think that through when you see a creature that's lower than another one. Don't assume it's worse. Just maybe think, is that lower on the list for a particular reason other than not being as good?
0: Well, Joey, one thing that I know I I've, I mentioned a few times and, you know, I still really like doing just across the board is digging into those, you know, the, the cards that go in the 99 and finding other cards that supplement those. One thing that I think kind of builds off the, you know, choose a creature type is Vanquisher's Banner, which is that card that I mentioned earlier that I think rewards us for playing more creatures in a creature heavy deck. So, you know, digging into Vanquisher's Banner card, you know, as, as a card in the 99, finding similar effects like Door of Destinies or some other Lord effects uh, I think that's something that's going to r- reward you quite a bit when you're playing a tribal deck, uh, just because we we got so much tribal help in the past couple years, you know, between Exileon block and the tribal pre-cons and all that, it was easy to overlook quite a bit of it. So digging into those cards that fit in the 99 of all the decks, I think that's something that a lot of people overlook because, especially with with new commanders, everybody gets so excited about well, what's the new hotness. What's the new stuff that we got to play? And you kind of forget about some of those fundamentals, too, that, you know, if we're playing a tribal deck, we need to draw cards. Vanquisher's Banner, you know, it's something that we, we probably should be playing. And so what's something that's going to complement not just Najila, but complement the other cards in the 99 as well? I think that's a good place to start is just look at the specific card pages, not just the commander.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Door of Destinies is the card that you mentioned that complements Vanquisher's Banner really well. It doesn't show up very popular on Najila's page, but if we click on Vanquisher's Banner, it will take Pdhrek will take us to the Vanquisher's Banner page, and we can see that 44% of decks playing Vanquisher's Banner are also running Door of Destinies. So that should probably clue us in that yeah, maybe we should give Door of Destinies a bigger shot in this Najila deck too. That's a great point. I like it a lot.
2: In, in a similar vein, um, I think checking on similar commanders to see what cards are being played in those decks is also really, really useful. Like the first thing that pops into my mind when I, when looking at Najila is she's probably doing a better version of what Godo Bandit Warlord was already doing. Cause he tends to be a deck that is equipment heavy, but also a lot of extra attack steps, that kind of thing in that deck. So I think that would be a good one to look at. Because Goto's been around a lot of years, there's been a lot of decks, so presumably many of them have been refined and tweaked over the years, so you might get more of a mature, look at like more of a mature deck, versus the N'Gelo ones that might be like first draft, second draft. So that might also kind of skew the numbers a little bit for a brand new commander, because you're looking at rough drafts or untested versions of those decks, whereas you look at an older commander that plays very similarly, you can probably get a little bit more refined take on those numbers, because... It's just been sitting there for years having those decks get tweaked. So you can find maybe ideas that these people have already tested and determined work or don't work and cycled then out or into their decks without having to try it on your own. You can look and say, well, go to Runs this one card. Why is that always in that deck? Maybe I should try it in Angela because it does a similar
1: thing. I really like that a lot. I Looking at other similar-ish commanders, maybe ones that are attacking a whole lot, like Godo, or maybe ones that make a whole bunch of tokens in pretty similar colors, like uh, Edgar Markov is one that comes to my mind. He makes a bunch of tokens, just like Najila, and he certainly likes to attack a lot with them. So you can go to his page and maybe get some cool ideas. Or looking at other five-color commanders, because Najila is herself a five-color commander. You can probably go to one of those, maybe General Tazri, and that might help you figure out, for example, your land base, see what other mature five color decks that have been sitting around for a while that people have tuned a whole lot see the way that they're handling their lands to fix all of their mana or you could find card ideas there too i think a really great one that i personally like is a prismatic geoscope it's a great card for a five color deck if you've got a lot of the basic land types and that would be one that we might find from the ur dragons page for example because he's also a really cool five color commander so you can go to those other commander pages and find ideas for your deck if they are sort of similar
0: even if you don't want to go the the, the tribal-specific route, like we said with General Taz or the Ur Dragon, you can go with similar playstyles too. You can go, you know, Scott, Saskia of Unyielding. if you want something that's going to focus around, you know, the combat step, add in a little extra combat steps, you know, to the typical Saskia build, and then just, you know, flavor it a little bit with the tribal theme. Uh, I think that's, you know, something you could use as a very good starting point for a uh, Najila deck is look at the typical Saskia deck, what is specific to her, take that out and replace it with some tribal themes, and that's a really good start to a deck as well.
2: Yeah, that was kind of what I wanted to say as well. Like, you can kind of do this a la carte. Like, you don't have to look at Godo and build off Godo. You can look at Goto and look at his extra combat steps and then, you know, kind of take that portion into your deck. And then you can go look at General Tazri and look at the mana base there because you don't, probably don't care about the rest of it and say, okay, well, Tazri's mana base is probably going to be similar to mine, so you can, you know, take that into into your deck then you can go look at edgar markov and say okay well i don't want to worry about edgar markov's land base but his token package might be interesting so like you just kind of do it like i said a la carte and look at different commanders and and mix and match the pieces that you find interesting for your deck it's it's all about looking at as many sources as
1: possible because usually the more information you have the better equipped you are Exactly. That's another yeah, I I love your suggestion there too. One more that I know Matt likes to do is the recent decks tool. Matt, do you want to tell us a little bit about the recent decks tool that you like using on EDHREC?
0: Yeah, well this this tip probably got boosted up to one of my favorite things to do just because of, you know, my pet dude lately is Valduk. But looking at the the recent decks tabs, just you can see live finished products. You don't have to look at the aggregate and see that that total average if somebody's focusing on a certain theme, like like we said, some, some Najila decks, they're gonna want to go more on the tribal route. They don't really care about the extra combat steps. They might even play it. You know, it's only a three-color deck because that's all they care to do. So you can find a deck list that's focusing on one specific theme or sub-theme or whatever you want to do, or say maybe you're, you're trying to do a Voltron version, and so you find you know a recent deck that focuses on making Najila big, fat, scary. And then getting those extra combat steps afterwards, you can find complete, you know, complete finished products. They might, like Dana said, be a version one, version two kind of early refinements. But it's something you can do to, to find that finished product. It doesn't have to be, you know, the total average, which, like we have said a lot for the precon commanders, especially, it might be a little scatterbrained and doesn't make sense when you're looking at, you know, everything on the whole.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning of the cast, I like pulling up the average deck list, and comparing that to one of the most recently built decks for that commander could be a really useful tool. I'd probably say that because I love doing the Commander Showdown series where I compare commanders against each other, but having one full deck list that was a combined aggregate versus one specific deck list and seeing what cards do and don't show up in both lists, that would be really useful information and would help me dig a little deeper into specific cards that I should or shouldn't consider playing.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it just it helps you see, you know, a birds-eye view instead of focusing in so far, you know, they you can't see the forest for the trees. That can happen when you're looking at the EDH rec data sometimes. You need to zoom out a little bit, just look at, you know, a, a you know, a complete 100-card package, then it all makes sense.
1: Absolutely. So these are a whole bunch of different tips that we like using, you know, the things that we like doing with EDH rec and other search terms that we would use to try and use this tool the way that it's meant to be to help you build an awesome commander deck. But we've also got another segment that we want to get to, and that's head-to-head. We've all got two, maybe three cards that we would like to consider adding to an Ajeela deck, but we also want to make you guess which one of these cards is more popular overall. I'm going to be starting off this week with Metallic Mimic versus Adaptive Automaton. So Metallic Mimic is an awesome new artifact creature from Kaladesh. It's a two-mana, two-one shapeshifter that says when it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Metallic Mimic is the chosen creature type in addition to its other types, and each other creature you control of that type enters the battlefield with an additional plus-one counter on it. I think this would be a really great addition to a Nagila deck because it's a colorless warrior that pumps up your other warriors. Really great raid. However... Is that Metallic Mimic more popular overall across all EVH decks? Is it more popular than Adaptive Automaton, which is a 3-mana 2-2 two, two construct that also lets you choose a creature type when it enters, is also the chosen type in, its addition, in addition to its other types, and just gives other creatures you control of the chosen type a flat plus 1 plus 1. I think since this is a 5-color deck, having some colorless, easy-to-cast pseudo-warriors that pump up your team could be really effective for a Najeela deck. But which of these cards do you think is more popular overall in EDH? Between
2: the two, my guess will be Metallic Mimic. I think it's it's more recent. It actually saw some standard play, so people have them lying around. It's probably fresh in their minds when they build their deck, so okay, I'm building Warriors. Oh, that Metallic Mimic was good in at buffing creatures in my standard deck, so I might as well put it in this deck. Versus Automaton, I don't know if it's had a reprint in... I want to say four or five years, I don't think, unless it was in one of the pre-cons that I'm forgetting. But So that, I think, is maybe not so fresh in people's minds. So I think folks who don't go to EDH rec might not be aware of it or as aware of it. So I'm going to guess Mimic wins out.
0: I'm going to go, I'm going to contradict you and go automaton. I think just because it's been older, gotten a little more help. I know it, Maybe people forgot about it a little bit recently because of just all the wave of tribal help, but I think the fact that it's been around for so long and, and has, probably has been in you know so much time to cure and age and, and get in those decks, I think that's going to help it a little bit more. And I don't, I don't like that you have to have metallic mimic down first in order to get the buff. You can drop automaton later while you already have a board state, then swing in for the bonus. I, I don't like that that mimic has to be down first.
1: That's definitely some solid reasoning, and Matt, you do win it out. Adaptive Automaton is currently showing up in a total of 5,174 decks, as opposed to Metallic Mimic, which is at a very still respectable 4,705. And I definitely like that you can just drop the Automaton and it will give a buff, even if you've already been making a whole bunch of creatures already and they're already on the battlefield. But I mean, that said, Metallic Mimic is still really solid, because you'll clearly be making a bunch of tokens with Najila as well. Dana, what's your pick for head-to-head?
2: So I mentioned doing a search before for extra attack steps for my um, Wasatora well, deck. Well, another tweak I was making to that deck after playing it at GP Vegas was I realized I needed more haste. So I started looking at ways to give my creatures haste, and, you know, beyond the typical Fervor or it Fires of Yawamaya. So, like, I wanted one or two more enablers. Um, and I like, oh, well, Concordant Crossroads. Okay, that's that's, you know, a single green world enchantment. All creatures have haste. But then I, I stumbled across one that I I knew about but I'd forgotten, which is Mass Hysteria, which is a single red, and gives all creatures haste. So they're essentially more or less clones of one another, the exception being Concordant Crossroads as a world enchantment. So if there's another world enchantment in play, it will blow up Concordant Crossroads. But that's really, really infrequent. Um, so then I was, you know, in finding those two enchantments, I was, of course, then thinking of this game tonight and wondered which one was more common. So, between Concordant Crossroads and Mass Hysteria,
1: which do you guys think is in Mordax? I'm going to Windmill Slam on Concordant Crossroads just because, like you mentioned, I'd forgotten that Mass Hysteria was a card. So, I think that one. Matt, what do you think?
0: (laughs) I really like Concordant Crossroads. It's just, you know, you plop it down early, kind of sit and just let it do its thing. And if you're sitting, you know, on a pod where you're the most aggressive deck, it's going to help you way more than helps everybody else. I'm going to go with Crossroads as well. I had
2: assumed it would be Crossroads as well. Number one, it's in green. There's plenty of other haste enablers in red, so mass hysteria has a little bit of competition. Whereas Crossroads is the only enchantment that just gives your creatures haste and mass in green as well, so you have that aspect of it. However, it hasn't been printed in 20 years, too, so I wasn't really sure if that would offset it. However, you are correct. Concordant Crossroads is in about three times as many decks. Um, it's in 3799 decks, whereas Mass hysteria is in a 1239. So, it's about, Concordant Crossroads is in about three times as many decks, despite costing you know roughly eight times as much money.
0: Whoa, that's mm. a lot.
2: I would guess yeah, also quite the multiplier. Yeah, and I would guess a lot of that though is just based on the fact that you can run Concordant Crossroads in your you know Golgari deck or your Selesnya deck, whereas Mass Hysteria, you're in
1: red where you already have other enablers. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me too. Matt, how about your head to head?
0: All right. So I've got two that I think we, we touched on a little bit, but I, I really think we should drive home for people that want to focus on Najila's activated abilities. So I've got reflecting pool. Versus Exotic Orchard. So Reflecting Pool is a land that just says add one mana of any color or of any type uh, that a land you control could produce. So if you've got, say, uh, you know Mana Confluence out, Reflecting Pool is a Mana Confluence that doesn't cost you a life. Or if you have a Tri Land out, uh, Reflecting Pool is gonna you know copy that Tri Land. Just anything that you're doing already, you know, it's gonna help you do a little bit better and just accelerate through everything. And on the flip side of that, we're going to have Exotic Orchard, which reads, uh, tap to add one mana of any color that a land an opponent controls could produce. So, you know, say you're stuck on lands and, you know, your buddy has all three of his colors out and you only have two, you're going to get those three colors from Exotic Orchard, which is going to really help if, you know, you, you don't want to have to fetch out a bunch of different colors, you're running tight on everything, so yeah, we'll put those head-to-head. One is basically a Felwar Stone. One copies all the lanes that you already have. Which one do you think is played more?
1: Oh, this is a really good one. Those are lanes that I definitely like seeing in three-color and up decks. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm really torn on this, but I think it might be Exotic Orchard. And that's basically just my bias going off of the precon effect, because I'm pretty sure I remember it coming in one of the Commander 2016 precon decks, and as we saw, those were super popular when they came out. So my instinct tells me Exotic Orchard would be more popular. I, I'm not positive though, and actually, even now as I'm saying it, I think Reflecting Pool might have been in those same series of decks too in the precon, so I'm not sure. But I'm still gonna put my my money on the uh, the Exotic Orchard.
2: Well, I have a bit of a head up on you, Joey, because I was looking at lands for that Wasatora deck today and trying to decide between Reflecting Pool and Exotic Orchard and a couple other ones, and I noticed the price on Reflecting Pool was up to around the $12 range, so I didn't wind up going with one. So at least based on me, (laughs) I chose Exotic Orchard over Reflecting Pool because it's you know a $0.12 card versus a $12 card. Also, in looking today, I noticed Exotic Orchard had been in several pre-cons, and I know for a fact Reflecting Pool was not. I think the last printing was in the first Conspiracy set.
1: So, uh, that's what I remember it from.
2: Yep. Based on availability, and as well as price, and as well as the pre-con effect, I'm going to say Exotic Orchard is more popular, even though I think Reflecting Pool is probably a better card.
0: So... The price is a very good point, but for all that rambling that we did in favor of the Exotic Orchard, it's actually very close. But Exotic Orchard is played more. It is 30,155 decks for Exotic Orchard Oof. compared to Reflecting Pool's 28,434. So it's a very tight race for numbers that high. But yeah, you guys are right. There was Commander 2017, the Plane Chase, Commander 2016 for Exotic Orchard, and then, yeah, The Conspiracy was the most recent reprint. For reflecting pool, so, um, but they're both both very powerful, and both like I said, if you're trying to get that combo out, I, pe- I think a lot of people with Najila decks are going to overlook how important fixing your mana is, even though they're in an aggressive deck.
1: I think that really speaks to the power of a card. You mentioned Reflecting Pool hasn't had a printing in a while, and it's very expensive, and usually price will probably be an indicator of card power as well. But if there are so many fewer printings of a card, and it's still nearly neck and neck with another card that's been printed a whole lot and is a lot cheaper, I think that, that really speaks to a, the, the power of the card if it's like nearly the same popularity as something that's much more widely available.
2: I also want to say that when Conspiracy came out, Reflecting Pool had cratered down to roughly the $3 mark. So I would bet mm-hmm. people probably had Reflecting Pools kind of stockpiled from cracking conspiracy packs, that kind of thing. And as it's crept back up, they've been able to just probably dig them out of binders and out of their, you know, 5,000 count boxes and throw them into decks. Cause that's, that's a recent enough printing at a low enough price. So there's probably a surplus of those sitting there as compared to maybe Concordant Crossroads where People
1: don't have them, you know, cheap versions lying around. That does make sense. Already, we've got one last thing to do, and it's the hardest part of any deck building experience, making cuts. We've used the EDH rec tool. We've used Scryfall to try and find a whole bunch of cards that we think would be useful, but now we're probably up at, you know, 150 cards or something. we got to cut down from a deck. So let's kill some cards. Specifically, we're going to take a look at some of the cards in Najila's page that we don't think necessarily deserve to be there. And we're kind of be going off of the uh, the average deck list that we pulled up as well. Dana, would you like to get started off on some cards that you don't think will make the final cut for our Najila deck? Sure. I will start with two creatures, um, Boldweir Intimidator
2: and a Butcher of Malakir. They are both seven drops. And while they both have pretty decent abilities... Cyclonic Rift costs 7 mana. Uh, Tooth and Nail costs 7 mana. Karn Liberated costs 7 mana. So if you're going to cost 7 mana, you'd better be Tooth and Nail, or you'd better be Cyclonic Rift, or you'd better be Karn. And those two creatures are not. Cyclonic Rift, or Tooth and Nail, or Karn. I, I think if you're going to run something that costs that much mana, it better be really, really impactful. Um, I don't think Bold, Weird, Intimidator ever is that impactful. And I think Butcher may be in a Stacks deck where you have... Bodies that you can throw to Asjans altar at will or something. This is not that deck. You can't just kill creatures at will to wipe your opponent's board state. So you're playing seven mana for something that you hope maybe kill some creatures when your things die. I think that's too much mana for that, particularly when there's so many efficient, effective warriors available. So I would say those two would be two of my first cuts. They're pricey and they don't do
1: enough for that price. I'm on both of those pucks. So Boldwear Intimidator is a 7 mana warrior that can turn other creatures into cowards and he also says that cowards can't block warriors which is really neat it would make your team unblockable but like you said you could just you know get rid of their creatures instead you don't need to pay all that extra mana to make your stuff unblockable in fact hell you're in blue you could probably just run blue cards that make yourself unblockable, too. Butcher of Malakir is kind of the same way. You don't necessarily need that big guy to be getting rid of all of your opponent's stuff. Like, at 7 mana, we've got Kindred Dominance, which is a black removal spell that kills all creatures that are not the creature type that you choose, which would, of course, be Warrior. So for 7 mana, if you're using Butcher of Malakir or Bold Rear Intimidator to get creatures out of your way, you could just play something like Kindred Dominance or the Cyclonic Rift or something like that to get those creatures gone.
0: Yeah, I one hundred percent agree on Boldwear Intimidator. I think Butcher Malik here if, if you're playing that type of style where you're gonna get that payoff quite a bit, I think it's a little bit better, especially if people, you know, decide they wanna you know, chump block all your one ones. I think it gets a little bit better, but it's still very expensive for the type of effects so when you're trying to be a little more aggressive, a little lower to the ground. But Boldwear Intimidator I, I would not put in a deck, probably ever.
1: Right. Another cut that I'd probably make, Matt, you actually mentioned earlier in the show, was Blood Chin Fanatic, which lets you sacrifice a warrior to deal damage or drain life based on its power, but I just don't think that our warriors are going to be very powerful. We're making a whole bunch of really tiny tokens, so I'd have to agree with you on that one as well. I don't think it makes the cut in my Nagila deck.
0: Yeah, and I'll say something since you know I know you're going to say it eventually. Uh, Azuri Claw Progress is a warrior, but this is not the deck for him. You're not going to get the payoff. You're not going to keep him around long enough to get the payoff. So just play a Zuri claw progress by all means, but just don't play him in this step. I I was doing hallelujah (laughs) hands. Really happy
1: that you named Azuri Claw of Progress to get rid of in this deck. But then you you said you you should play him in different decks. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just leave it at don't play him in your Nojila deck. I prefer you don't play him at all. But I definitely, I agree. I don't think that the additional pump that Azuri provides, even if you are making a lot of tokens and getting experience counters with Azuri, I don't think that that's necessarily what you need, that extra pump. I, I don't think it necessarily helps you as much as just, you know, taking another combat step would help you.
0: Yeah. Well, in this, the order and how things happen with Azuri, you know, at the beginning of your combat is when those counters put, you know, go onto a creature, but it's when everything attacks that you get the warriors coming in that are going to get you with experience counters that are going to go back onto something at the beginning of the next combat. So it just, if it layered a little bit differently, I think it might be a little bit better, but the way that it works, I, I just don't like it. It's not that great. Play something else. Yep. Azuri, not that great. Confirmed. In the
2: 99 of Najil. <laughs> Addendum. Well, in, a, in a similar vein, um, you saw the Dragon Claw is on that list. She lets you spend a couple mana to steal a small creature. I think we have better things to do with our mana in this deck than steal someone's Llanowar Elves. For example, taking an extra combat step. And if you're mm-hmm. not using your mana on her ability to steal you know, someone's Llanowar Elf, then she's just a 4-2 body with Trample. That's just not good enough when there's so many ridiculously powerful warriors available.
0: I would say one other card that I just don't think really makes that much of an impact is there's a lot of two drops in this deck and the sample deck list that we see it's really low to the ground. And some of those two drops don't do a lot. So stuff like Herald of Dromoka, it just, it's a warrior with vigilance that gives all your other warriors vigilance. If you're doing the cryptolith right route, sure, maybe, but I think just, I want to keep my two drops, even though I love aggressive decks, I love creature decks, I want my two drops to do more than Herald of Drumoka is going to do.
1: No, I might push back a little bit on that one. I mean, Vigilance is a surprisingly powerful ability in a multiplayer environment, and I don't know, having smaller warriors helps. I don't know, every warrior begets another warrior in an Agila deck, so I'm I, I, I kind of like that one actually.
0: I I think you're better off if you're trying to you know get more warriors. Just play more combat step spells than Herald of Drumoka. I think that's going to be a bigger impact, because then you're actively winning the game. You're not just kind of putzing around and leaving some blockers, because you don't want the game to go along anyways.
2: I mean, you're you're in five colors here. You have access to the EDH All-Stars. If there's a good card, you can play it, which means competition is fierce. And if a card is just good, maybe just good isn't good enough in a deck where you can play anything.
1: And it is a creature, so maybe if we're looking for something that gives our creatures Vigilance, like, I mean, I kind of like the Vigilance ability, something that I might play would be the recent Radiant Destiny from Ixalan, which is an enchantment that gives the creatures of a certain type that you choose, plus one, plus one, and Vigilance as long as you have the City's Blessing, which will be really easy to get if we're making a whole bunch of tokens. So maybe there are some other workarounds there that we can get if we really want that ability, but having it on a vulnerable and tiny creature might be less optimal than having it somewhere. Or else, yeah, I agree with that. I'm on board, Dana. I see you've got a pick in here that you uh, you don't like a card because of its artwork,
2: <laughs> and you know what? It's a perfectly good card actually in this deck. Um, Rushblade Commander. This the note I have is it shouldn't make the cut just for the art. Have some pride in your deck, people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a different style than we see in most Magic art. I'll, I'll definitely agree there. And you know, it also falls into the
2: same the same category as giving your creatures Vigilance. I, haste is really, really useful, but is it worth running a you know, vanilla 2-2 that gives your creatures haste? It's useful, and if I was running a two-color deck, that would probably make the cut. In a deck where I have access to the best of the
1: best, I don't know if that makes it. Mm.
2: And, the art, of, and the art's terrible.
1: <laughs> Speaking of stuff that gives your creatures haste, one that I pointed out was Garna the Blood Flame. I don't like this commander. It's new, a Rakdos Uncommon from Dominaria that... uh, Man, I just think it's so, so awkward. So it's a 5-mana 3-3 with flash, and when it enters the battlefield, you return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from anywhere this turn, and it says other creatures you control have haste. I mean, it's neat that it gives haste, but it just the timing on Garna is really bizarre to me, because haste is something that you want early so that you can be attacking, but then when it enters, you're supposed to have a lot of dead creatures. I mean, I guess that versatility makes it good at any point in the game, is the theory, but, I mean, if I'm gonna give my stuff haste, I'd rather have it on something more resilient than a creature. And if I'm gonna be returning stuff from my graveyard to anywhere, I'd like it to be returned to the battlefield. Dana, like you said, we're in five colors, we've got access to the powerhouses, we can run spells that put our stuff from the graveyard straight to the battlefield, and not even just the ones that were put into a graveyard this turn. So, yeah, Garna would probably not make my cut either.
0: See, I'll push back on that one. I like Garna a lot, actually, because it's good wrath insurance. Say, you you know, you don't have your Boros Charm, you don't have your Baroque Intervention, anything like that. It's a good way to recover, and then the next turn, because they will have haste the next turn when you recast them, It'll play out all right. Sure, you don't get every single creature back to the battlefield the next turn or that turn, but you have plenty of ways you know, to, to rush out again. I like Garna as just Wrath Insurance, Recover the Board, because we talk about in creature decks, one reason they're not that powerful is you know, if you're too dependent on creatures, there's a Wrath and you lose. Garner's a good way to back yourself up against that.
2: Yeah, she doesn't save your tokens, though, and I think you're going to people are going to be more dependent on those tokens, making more tokens, making more tokens, and they realize I just don't know if the amount of value it generates is worth it in this particular deck.
0: Sure. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I like, I just think Garner is going to get a little overlooked, but I, I do like her as a card.
1: Matt, what are some other things that you think you might cut from the deck?
0: If you're really combo heavy, it's fine, but Bear Umbra and Sword of Beast and Famine, I'm not super keen on... I know they're powerful cards. I know it's Wrath insurance, sure, kind of. Um, but I just, I don't know. I like I said earlier. I I'm a little more on the play lots of creatures side of things. Uh, that's where I would focus all my attention. But I don't know. Does this is say they're not?
2: Ver- does sword go infinite? I think if you hit with that's sword. exactly it. it. Yeah,
0: it, it can. Yeah, and that's that's why I think it's fine. I I don't know. I I think there's better ways. I think Druid's Repository is just going to be more mana efficient for what you're trying to do. Um, I would, if you're trying to do combo and go infinite, I would, I would personally rather play Druid's Repository than sword. Just mana efficiency alone is good. The protection is nice to push through everything, but then you know, it's, it's harder to interact with enchantments than it is with, creep, with artifacts. So that's one reason I might stick away with it. And Bear Umbra, I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm not too keen on. Um, but one, another creature that I don't really like that much
1: No, we can't move on to the creature. I disagree with your two picks right there. Those are excellent cards.
0: They go infinite with Najila. Why would you cut those? I I think, like I said, if if you're trying to go infinite, if that's the route you want to go, then do it. Like I said, you might be trying to run a Najila Voltron deck. uh, And if that's the case, going infinite is going to be great. But I just, I like the creature route. I like, you know, that play style a little bit more. Um, Like I said, I didn't say they're not great cards, because they definitely are. I just, I... I don't know, and this might be just a case of the sample decklist being a little bit all over the place. Um, but I, I probably wouldn't play them if you're trying to run a little more creature heavy.
1: They untap your lands, then you can pay for Nidjila's ability, to get another. card. I've played yeah. both so of good. them before. Oh, they're so good.
2: Yeah, they're so good. It's, it's, it's sword bored me, I th- but I think it's a good card. I'm not going to say not to run it. I just I find it and, un- and that might an be uninteresting it. That might way to win
0: game. Me. Yeah, it's, it's boring. I think. I think it's the same reason I don't like running. Cyclonic like Rift in a lot of decks. It's just boring. Everybody does it. Everybody plays Sword of Feast and Famine. We talked, you know, several times on the cast about how according to EDH Rec, Sword of Feast and Famine is the most played sword of X and Y in Commander. It's just boring. It's unoriginal. I like Najila because she's finally a good warrior tribal commander that you can play all these awesome warrior creatures that never had somebody to take the helm. And that's just something that's very exciting for me personally. And just you get to go out and do a thing and doing Sword of Feast and Famine is just kind of resorting back to, well, I've done this in every other deck, so why not keep doing it here? It's just boring, unoriginal. think I, I will, cyclonic rift.
1: I can say right now that I will be in the comments of our episode with a bunch of other people saying that Matt is totally wrong about <laughs> removing Bear Umber and Sword of Feast and Famine.
0: That's that's fine. I mean that, and that's the fun thing about commanders you can you know, we can give you a start on EDH track. We can show you, you know, here's how you can play it, but ultimately it's up to you to play it how you want to. I'm not gonna tell you you're you wrong because it's your deck, but you know, I might yeah, yeah. it's boring.
2: Like, if, if someone wants to sit at the kids' table, that's fine. Like the rest of us like to eat with the fine china with the grown
1: ups. <laughs> I just Some consider of like Sword of Feast and Famine and <laughs>
2: Bear Emperor Fine China. No, I, I you know what I they're absolutely really good cards. I I'm not gonna argue that either. But like if someone told me I have five swords in my deck, Really, it doesn't matter what your commander is. I'm not going to be able to argue that you shouldn't have them in your deck for the most part. Like, they are all so pushed and so strong that even without the infinite combo in this deck, you can't tell someone to not run any of those five swords for power reasons. They're just all, even the worst of them, it's really, really good for how much it costs. So, like, you just can't argue against swords, period, unless you're doing so because you're just sick of them. I and mean, that's just the reality of it. They're all excellent.
0: Yeah, um, if I played 50 fine. games at GP Vegas and saw sort of feast and famine every day, every game. Oh wait, you didn't do that either, Dana.
1: I I missed the 50. That's <laughs> <lagging>. <laughs> All right, Dana, did you have any other you know last minute things that you'd probably say don't um, make the cut in this the deck? The one
2: I'd say doesn't make the cut is a Kretaris Monument. It makes a worry whenever you cast not an ETB, so it's only when you cast a spell. And the cost reduction on white warriors is also relatively minimal looking through the list. There's not a lot of white ones. It's probably the least represented color. Well, I guess that would be blue, but it's the second least represented color among the warriors that you're casting. So I just don't think reducing, you know, one mana on a couple of your warrior spells and then also making one single warrior is probably worth it
1: when there's just so many more powerful options available. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that, I think. And one of the things that I would do when I'm struggling to make cuts, the thing that I like doing is frankly just giving my pile of cards to a friend and seeing what they say. Talking over you know, the cuts with multiple people like we've been doing in this podcast for the last couple of minutes, like, this is helpful because some of the things that you guys have said, they're things I didn't consider. And so having fresh pairs of eyes on your list is really helpful. Sometimes, as we saw with Matt, your friends might make cuts that are totally and completely wrong and completely <laughs> unjustifiable but that also uh, even if you do disagree with your friend for some reasons uh, then that can help reinforce the cards that you definitely want to keep and that i think is also useful for the cutting cards process because when someone challenges one of the cards and you didn't really know how you felt about it as soon as someone says i should take this out that might be a signal to you like oh no i actually really want to play that card that's one of the reasons i'm excited to play the deck so that will help you find out what you should cut instead of the card that was challenged
0: Yeah, I I can't count the times that I've been trying to work through a deck and I just go to, you know, granted this is a little exclusive, but just go to the EDH rec, you know, our our Slack channel that we have for all the writers, and we just bounce ideas off each other. It might take a day, an afternoon, whatever, but just refining everything. So the bigger your social network, um, one thing I was super lucky to have, you know, back when I lived in Missouri was we had a Facebook group just for all the people that played magic in in town among, you know, probably five or six. Six different stores, but everybody was all in the same one. People always throwing out deck lists, asking for feedback. Um, Just, you know, using that social network around you, it's nothing that you have to do a whole lot of work for, Um, but just ask people for feedback. That's the big thing that a lot of people, you know, yes, it will ultimately be your deck and your decision, but, you know, getting some other people's input is never a bad thing. You
1: know, Matt, I'm glad that you don't live in Missouri anymore. You know why? Because it rhymes with Missouri.
0: (laughs) Not, not not if you say it, Missouri, like many of the natives do.
1: I've always heard it
2: as a uh, running with misery.
0: It is, misery. Yeah. Misery is very much more applicable. But no, if, if you smoke crack before, it's Mazura.
1: So there you have it. Those are some of the cuts that we would make for an Ajila deck. And those are also, throughout the rest of the show, those are some of the tips that we would have for, you know, poking around the website and trying to find cards. Hopefully this has been enlightening to listen to some of the tips and the different ways that we use the website and other search engines to try and find cards for a deck. I hope it's been pretty enlightening because it's neat to hear the ways that other people use the site. There are methods that Matt uses that I don't necessarily use but are nonetheless effective, and there are methods that Dana uses that I also hadn't considered. I mean, there are some cards that Matt would take out of the deck which are totally crazy and that he calls boring. Which are but totally, totally aren't. Fine. But whatever, that, whatever.
0: It's I think fine with that, that I want to stay awake when you know whenever we're playing commander and not falling asleep cuz oh, it's the same card every time.
1: It's not boring to some of us. Come on. On You're that born, bizarre note, hey. <laughs> on that bizarre note, I think we're going to call this episode to a close, you guys. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, except for Matt, for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? You can find well, you me, can
2: find me. Go ahead, Matthew.
0: Well, I just figured I'd introduce myself first to make sure Joey doesn't edit me out of this, you know, outro. But that, that's a good point. Uh, you can find me. You can find me on Twitter at uh, mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S five five. Uh, also on Instagram or whatever else you want to, you know, social media on.
1: Let him know that he's totally wrong. That <laughs> calling Bear Ember boring is wrong. That's I
0: fine. Th- I still need friends.
2: I've seen Matt's Twitter feed and he gets 10 to 12 messages a day saying he's wrong.
0: That's true.
2: <laughs> exact. You can find me on Twitter at
1: Dana Roach. And you can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. And we're doing a giveaway when Rec gets 5,000 likes and when the Rec cast page gets 1,000 Twitter followers. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. You can find Dana on his other podcast, CMDR Central. You can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. This podcast is also posted every week on Rec's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. And until then, remember, wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. The Skype gods are punishing you for being wrong because you're cutting in and out. That's the. I see a bike here.